Now, home is a lot of work. Just plain work. When work at home is planned and organized for cooperation, there can usually be more time for leisure. I'm certainly in favor of those things. Leisure. Who is it? Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? But how can we manage them? We'll have to work out the full answer together. Say, Mom, discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You know, this is beginning to be quite a family project. It certainly is. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for being here today. My name is Clayton. I'm the senior pastor here, and I'm just telling you what, I love our worship ministry here at Central. It is just fantastic. In fact, um, I'm probably telling you all too much information. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but... Um, I drank too much water and coffee this morning, so like after we worshiped, I went to the restroom, and uh, I was over in the, the, the men's restroom, and I don't know who, what kid it was, but there was a kid in, in one of the stalls, and we're, we're done with singing, and he's in there worshiping and singing, <laughs> saying, all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. I was like, yeah, that's right. I was talking about, I don't know who, what kid that was, but uh, that was good. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, um, I don't know what political persuasion you are, and honestly, it doesn't really matter. But um, several years ago, one of our former presidents was asked a question. Um, the former president was, was uh, George Bush, the George Bush Sr. that passed away a few years ago. And he was asked this question, what is your greatest accomplishment? And think about his life and and all the things that he has done. He, he, could, he could have named a, a myriad of things. He had been the, the director of the CIA. He had been um, a World War II survivor and was shot down and, 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 and lived to, to tell about it. He was the U.S. ambassador to China, served two times as the vice president under Ronald Reagan, and then one time as president of the United States. And he was asked this question. And you think about it, what? What, would, what, what should be his response to that question? And out of all the things that he has done, here's what he said about his greatest accomplishment. He says, my greatest accomplishment is that my children still come home to see me. It's a Ronald Reagan, or that's what uh, George Bush said. That's, that was my greatest accomplishment. When we think about that, I think about raising kids. For a lot of us, we, we look back and we have regrets. Whether we have little ones or those that are they're big ones now, right? We look back at our lives and, and we have some regrets. In fact, when I talk to people that are towards the end of their life, they never say, man, I wish I had worked more, right? I wish I had spent more time um, away from my family or pursuing my goals and my dreams. No one says that. When you get to the end of your life, they always say what is most important to them. And it's usually something about their family. And it goes like this. I wish I'd been home more. I wish I'd been a better father. Or I wish I'd been a better mother or spouse. You see, we, we talk about those things because that is what is most important to us. Family is so important because the legacy that, that we leave, our name, is what matters. And that carries on from gener generation to generation long after 
we are gone. And so today, we've talked about a lot of different things over the last several weeks. We've talked about, we've talked about a, you know, spiritual family. We talked about having the right priorities. Last week, Matt preached about marriage. Well, today we're talking about our kids. And I titled this message, You're One Shot. Because you think about it, you have one shot. You're one shot with raising godly kids. And let me explain this in another way. So one of our church members, I can't, I can't claim this, but one of our church families um, has, has done this illustration to help them kind of as parents to make the most use of their time. And so I did this this last week for my kids. What I did is I took out two giant jars, and I'll bring them over here so you can see them in the light. Two giant jars, and what they represent, there's full of marbles, and each marble represents the number of weeks I have left with my kids before they are off and gone. So for my, my ninth grader, Corbin, I have 158 weeks left. 159 weeks, excuse me. I'm counting. 159 weeks left. With my daughter, Hannah, seventh grader, I have 263 weeks left. So as parents, I think it's important that we recognize and realize that we have a, a big responsibility. And that responsibility is going away slowly over time. And so each week, you could take one of those marbles and just drop it because it's gone, right? You can never get that week back, and now you're going to have one less week. You see, parents, your kids, they really need you. They need you to be all in. They need you to be there for them because you only have a little bit of time left. But the problem is, as parents, a lot of times we aren't the best at spending good quality time with our kids. In fact, research was done recently about dads and the amount of quality time that we spend with our kids every week. And the study found out that on the weekends, the average dad only spends 14 minutes of real quality time with their kids. And on the weekdays, it's even less. It's only eight minutes a day of real quality, one-on-one, -on -one, no distraction time with their kids. You see, God has given us this huge responsibility. For many of us in this room, it's time for us to refocus or fix our mistakes because time is running out. And when time, the time is gone and those marbles are gone and those weeks are gone, you can't get them back. Like, it's over. So the question is, what are we going to do with the time we have with our kids? And the question for today is, how do we parent God's way? How do we do this, this thing, God's way? And I'm not talking about just parents. I'm talking about to grandparents here. I'm talking about to great-grandparents. Great if you're an aunt, if you're an uncle, if you have any type of influence on the, the next generation, I would consider you a parent figure in someone's life. So the question for all of us today is, how do we parent the younger ones, God's way. Well, the, one of the best things to look is obviously to God's word. And we look at the life of Moses. Moses, um, he said something in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is really profound. Now, Moses had, he had two uh, boys. One was Gershom and Eleazar. And with these two kids, with these two boys, after he had raised them and through the influence of the Holy Spirit, he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. See, if your Bibles, you can turn there. Here, this is a famous saying. Here's what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And then he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. We've all heard that. But let's, let's look at it real quick. Go back to verse 6. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on whose heart? Your heart. Should be on your heart. Here's what Moses is saying to parents. That if you really want your kids to follow the Lord, you have to follow him first. If you want God, or if you want your kids to follow after God, you have to follow God first. Because we have this responsibility to develop and feed, not just our kids, but ourselves as well. And in fact, this last week I was driving up, up to the, the church. No one was here, and I, I drove over this side to the, this parking lot. And we have some uh, family of killdeer birds. These killdeer, they, they nest on the ground. In fact, for some reason, they're like nesting in the middle of the parking lot, which is kind of crazy. But anyways, so they were in the middle of the parking lot just chilling. The mom and dad were there. And I was driving up trying to make sure I didn't run over them. And when I got too close, all of a sudden, they jumped up and took off. And all these four little baby birds were underneath them. And they went, boom. And they're like running. If you ever seen these killdeer, they're like, like running like crazy. It was awesome to watch them run um, across the parking lot. But I was thinking about this. Parenting. How does a bird parent or take care of their baby? Well, they, they provide protection. They go and um, feed them, and they, they provide for them in those different ways. But I was thinking about this. What happens to baby birds when the parent doesn't feed themselves? What eventually happens? Eventually, that parent is going to be malnourished. Eventually, that parent is not going to be able to parent very well and take care of those little baby birds anymore. And that, that, bird, that adult bird might eventually die, which means that those little babies are going to die as well. I was thinking, what a great example that is, that God shows us here in Deuteronomy 6 that it is our responsibility first to take care of our relationship with God. You see, you can't lead a child any further than you're willing to go yourself. What I see a lot of times in the Christian family, in the Christian household, is that you drop your kids off to church. You say, well, the church isn't really for me, but I want my kids to be in church. And you wonder why when they grow up, they don't follow after the Lord. It's because you didn't take care of yourself first to be able to then instill truths in them. Look at verse 7. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your, ho sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Does this mean that we're supposed to take our Bibles around and we're supposed to just, uh, you know, thump, thump our, head, our kids across the head and say, Hey, here's what the Bible says. You're supposed to do this and no questions asked, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what this is saying. It's not saying we're supposed to just lord over them like that and, uh, and just make them follow these rules. That's not what the Bible is saying here. What the Bible is saying here is that some things are taught and some things are what? Caught, right? As parents, some things we can, we're able to teach our kids, but a lot of times the things that, that they get, it's caught. It's caught from watching us. And kids watch us all the time. we got to realize that their eyes always watching us as parents. And they're, they're wondering, what are our priorities? And what, are, what is most important to us? And actually this, 
Do we back up the things that we say? When we tell our kids to follow the Lord, are we doing that ourselves? We have to first be taking care of our responsibility. Number one responsibility is our walk with the Lord, our personal walk with the Lord. You see, that's no, they don't need do's and don'ts, right? They don't need a list of do's and don'ts. They need deep conviction. And when it says that we're going to, to um, do this all those different times and teach them diligently, the Bible says, what it's saying is we need, to, we need to instill in them, in our kids, these deep convictions that last. And we do that by showing them and also explaining to them what it means to follow after the Lord. And so the question I have for us today is this. Parents, are you setting an example? Are you setting the right example for your kids? Maybe I could ask it this way. It's pretty tough. If your kids turned out to be the same Christian that you are, would you be proud? Would they be on fire for the Lord? Would they be following after Jesus? Or they be saying one thing and doing another thing? You see, we have to set the example. As parents, we have to set the example. And so what needs to change in our lives? As we think about parenting, what does it look like to parent well and, and help the, our kids follow after God? We need to be taking care of our own business. That's what God's word says right there. It starts with us. But he's, God's not done with, that, with us yet. He's got something else for us. So you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 22. There's something else that God wants to teach us about parenting God's way. Here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 22, 6. The Bible says that we need to train up our kids. So train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What is God saying here? Do we really know what it means to, to train up a child in the way they should go? I think a lot of us are like, yeah, I get that. Like, I understand what that means, to train up a child in the way that they should go. I, I'm, in fact, I'm probably doing that. You know, I bring my kids to church. Um, I, I make sure they're in Sunday school. I make sure that they're in vacation Bible school. We spend good money um, sending them to, to, to church camp uh, throughout, the, throughout the summer. We do all those things that we consider as parents, like make sure that they are doing the things that a Christian kid is supposed to be doing. That's, that's the way I'm supposed to be training up my kid. But I wonder if there's something deeper for us to understand. Several years ago, my uh, sister called me, and we lived in West Texas at the time, and she lived there, and she said, Clayton, I need, I need some help. We're, uh, her husband and, and, and she were, they were redoing their fence, and it was just not working. They need some help. They had to redo all the posts in, in their fence. And so I get over there, and I get my post hole diggers, right? So I take my post hole diggers, the manual ones, and I get over there, and I, we laid it all out and had it all perfect and ready to go, and I start digging. I'm like, boom, and I, you know, I do this and move that dirt, and I did this a couple times, and I got about six inches deep into the ground. All of a sudden, it was just hit solid rock. Now, in West Texas, it's a little bit different than here. West Texas, after about just a little layer of dirt, there's this stuff called caliche, okay? And caliche is just like, it's like this solid rock, and it is awful, and it is everywhere. And you cannot dig through caliche with just manually. So we went to Home Depot and got one of those, uh, those gas-powered augers, right? Looks like a giant weed eater with big old handles. It's got this huge blade. So we get there, and it takes two of us, and we're holding it. 
We turn that sucker on, and we're just like, you know, it's just like supposed to be digging a hole, and it's just bouncing around. It wasn't doing anything. So we had to go back to Home Depot and get one of these, like, 30-pound, uh, six-foot-long, uh, what, what are they called? Like, rock breakers, right? These big, massive poles, and they have a blade on the end of them. And for, for days, guys, it took weeks, I sat there and just pounded and pounded and pounded to try to, try to get the, the, the holes dug, all 30 of them. It was awful. Like, it was the, the best workout I ever had in my life. But I was absolutely exhausted. But the thing is, is that on the surface, it looked like just great dirt, right? It just looked perfect. But once I dug down just a little bit, I realized what the ground was really like. And I think sometimes in Scripture, that's, that's one of our fallacies, is we read over just the Scripture like, Train a child the way they should go. And even when he's old, he'll depart from it. Okay, next, right? And we just kind of keep going. We're like, I got that. Just make sure they're in church. But maybe there's something deeper. Maybe there's something that we need to dig into this verse to understand what God has for us. So let's do that. Let's do that. We're going to kind of look at each couple different words. We'll look at some phrases here to try to understand what God really is saying to us today. Verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This phrase, to train up, means to develop a person's behavior by instruction and practice. In fact, this phrase is used as an ancient term that was used for, for midwives. And when a baby was born, a midwife would go and crush up um, some dates. And then they would dip their finger in the date, and they would go over to the baby, and they would uh, put the, their finger in the baby's mouth to try to get them to start feeding, to have a taste for milk, to help them to begin to, to start to get nourished. And what happens when a, a baby finally gets a taste for milk? It wants more, right? It wants more milk. It wants to be nourished over and over again. It was, it was a way for them to develop in the, in the kid a thirst for milk. In fact, this is the parent's calling. This is our calling in a spiritual sense to build in them, to build in our kids a lasting motivation and thirst for living God's way. That's what we should be doing. When it says train up, that's what we should be doing. We should be wanting our kids to long and hunger, hunger for, for God's word, right? The things of God. Instead of force feeding them, we want them to want it, right? We want them to have that desire in them. But, but also this word, this phrase train up was also used to try to Describe how a cowboy would break in or, or bring to submission a wild horse. And for some of you, you're like, okay, that's my kid. You, you've, you've described my kid. My kid is like a wild horse. And when we think about training up our kids, that's also what it's, what it's talking about here. And so there's, there's this dueling purpose here for training up. And on one hand, we have this, this, um, we need to, this need to, to bring a, about a thirst for our kids where they're thirsting after the things of God and God's righteousness. And on the other side, we're trying to make sure that we break their rebellious will, you know? And how do you do both of these at the exact same time? Well, let's dig in just a little bit deeper, and maybe we'll kind of understand this. So it says, train up a what? Child. Now, I was thinking about this word, child. What does that really mean, child? I mean, when does it end? Like, is it just when they're little and, and then they begin to walk and you're done? Or maybe, maybe when they're finished with elementary school or middle school or high school, when are they supposed to be done uh, being a child? Well, this, this word in the Hebrew, this word child, is used throughout Scripture in different ways to describe um, kind of like the entire 
lifetime of their young adult years. So sometimes this word child is used to describe an infant, a baby. Sometimes it's used to describe a young boy. There's a couple times it's used to describe a preteen, especially when it was used for Ishmael in the Old Testament. And even for Joseph, when it was used to describe Joseph, he was 17 years old when it said child. And there's one other time in Scripture in the Old Testament where it uses the word child to describe a man who's about to get married. So it's talking about this longer span of life that we have an opportunity to instill in our kids and to set parameters and guidelines for them, to create this thirst for them, but also these external boundaries to help them. So let's keep going. It also says in this verse, to train up a child in the way he should go. And for a lot of us, we're like, well, I know which way my kid needs to go, right? I got that. I got it all figured out for them. When it says in the way that he should go, what it's talking about is the bent of a child. The uniqueness of a child. Now, each child is made different. And God has wired our kids a little bit different. So it's really saying that the, that the way they should go is a little bit different than maybe the way that you want them to go. And let me, let me illustrate this a little bit with this thing over here. I found this in my garage the other day. <clears throat> Just a, a pole. It's got a little bend to it. This is a perfect example, illustration of how kids are. We want, want our kids to be straight and narrow, right? We got to realize that every kid has a little bend to them. And sometimes that bend is great. Sometimes you got that one kid that just, they're, they're bent towards the Lord just a little bit, right? You don't even, you don't even have to work hard. And they're like, they just love Jesus. And they're singing in the, the stall over there about, about <laughs> the things of the Lord. And you're like, yes, man, I, I, we've won. We've done it, right? Like, this is easy, man. Parenting is great. And they just love Jesus and they love the Lord. But some of us have kids that are like this, right? And they bend the other way. And they bend a little bit towards sin. And they bend a little bit towards rebellion. And the question is, what do you do? What do you do with a kid that's this way? Here's what the Bible says. Job chapter 5, verse 7 says this about kids and us. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Some of us have kids that are like little sparklers, you know? Fourth of July, you got your sparkler out, and you're just having a good time, and it's safe, and you know, they kind of they got their, their personality and that sort of thing. Some of our kids are like sparklers, and some of us have kids that are like the whole Fourth of July, right? They're just they're just all over the place, you can't control them. And that's what the Bible is saying here. That that, that that's our natural bent. Our natural bent is is to be sinful, right? It's the sinful bent that we have. So some of us have kids that are mischievous a little bit, that we have, they have a short temper, they're deceptive. And here's what the Bible says, Psalm 51.5 says, Surely as I was sinful at birth, sinful from, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The Bible is saying that we have a sinful nature, and it's our parents' fault. <laughs> okay? <laughs> what it's really saying is that our original parents, Adam and Eve, it's their fault. It's all of our faults. And so we shouldn't be surprised when our kids have a bent a little bit towards sin. They're just naturally that way. But a wise parent understands that every single kid, whether you have one or ten, every single kid has to be parented a little bit different, right? 
Every single kid is, has a bent that's a little bit different. And what they need is they need correction. They need correction from us as parents, and that correction comes in the form of discipline. Let me read some scripture here to try to explain that. Psalm, or sorry, Proverbs 17:25 says this: "A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her who bore him." What this is saying is that when a kid strays, it hurts, right? When a kid strays, there is grief and suffering and pain. And you wonder as a parent, what did we do wrong? How have we failed them? How have we failed God and his call on our lives? And the question, I guess, really is, is how do we work it out? We look at a kid and we're like, man, he's 12. He's been in the wrong way. He's 17. He's going the complete opposite direction. I want, how do, we, how do we correct that bend, right? How do we work that bend out? Here's what Proverbs 22:15 says. It says that folly, this folly we're talking about, this foolishness, right? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We need to be parents to discipline our kids. We need that. That's not saying that we physically abuse kids or mentally abuse kids or emotionally abuse kids. No, it is saying that there needs to be correction and consequences. We need to have that for our kids because you know what? That is actually God's model for us. Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what the Bible says about God. It, first all, first, it starts off and says this in verse 10. For they disciplined, talking about parents, they disciplined us for a short time that seemed best to them. But he, talking about God, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And then it says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Mm-hmm. Right? I remember those days. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When I found this piece of metal, it was actually bent at 90 degrees. I was like, that's not a very good illustration. Like, I need to kind of bend it back. And so I got my little propane little blowtorch uh, from my garage, and I sat on the counter, and I turned it on, and I'm just heating this metal up because I'm like, I've seen shows that do this or whatever, you know. And so I'm heating it up, and, and uh, I'm trying to, like, I got it real hot, and I'm trying to bend it. And it, just, it just was not working, right? It just wasn't working. Sometimes that's how it is with kids. I mean, you, you, you put a little heat to them right? A little correction, a little discipline. It's just not working. And so I see my, my neighbor who's like the tool man, right? And he's got everything. And uh, he pulls up in his big truck and I was like, hey, hey, Jake, can you help me with this? And so I went over to his garage and we're looking at it, and he's like, we're going to have to get the torch out, right? And so he gets out like the big torch and hooks it up to the oxygen and the propane and got the mix there. And he's like, I got to turn it down because if I turn it up too much, it's just going to blow a hole right through this thing, okay? So he's like, he's like, uh, puts it in a vise and we're heating it up and it's just, it's just red hot, you know? And he just goes, boop, just like bends it just super easy. And I was thinking, man, you know what? That's how kids are sometimes. Some of them just need a little bit of correction. Some just need a little bit of heat to be fixed. You might not have a kid like that. All you got to do is look at him, right? And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, right? And some kids, they need more fire, right? You got to light a fire under them. You got to light a, a hot fire under them. They need this godly discipline. And that's what God does for us. He shows us by example what we're supposed to do with our kids. So let's finish with the end of Proverbs 22.6. Here's what it says. Train a child in the way he should go. You got to love this. Even when he is old, 
he will not depart from it. So the question is, do you want your son, do you want your daughter, do you want your grandkid? Do you want your niece or your nephew or someone that you are mentoring? Do you want them to grow up to love God? And as an adult, to raise their own kids, their own families to to love the Lord. Do you want that? I would say all of us are like, yeah, I want that. But as a former youth pastor, I've realized some things about parenting in, in this Christian world that we live in. Is that a lot of times kids graduate and they go off and they just go crazy. And they fall away from the Lord and you wonder why. And you, and you realize that they never really had a faith of their own. Right? What they had was they had your faith. And you were saying, hey, we're going to love God. We're going to go to church. We're going to do all these things. And they never really had it in their heart and in their spirit. They were just following after you. And so when they finally get a little bit of freedom, they go crazy, right? Because they never really had a faith of their own. Or I see parents do this. They want their kid to be just like them. And so they are they're trying to mold and shape their kids to be in their own image. And as Christian parents, we got to realize that, yeah, your kid may look like you, but your kid is not made in your own image. They are made, he or she is made in the image of God. And we need to be as parents working towards molding and shaping them into the image of the Father, in the image of Jesus' Son, instead of into our image. That needs to be our goal. So how in the world do we do this? Well, we need to order some lunch because we got a lot to talk about, right? Okay, we're going to be here for a while. I mean, there, there's way too much. We could do an entire series on just this one topic. But let me end by just giving you a little bit of practical advice. So practical advice for parenting God's way. I think one of the best things we can do is help them see the big picture. I don't care if your kid is 5 or 15 or 25. We need to help them see the big picture in life. And you can do this by asking them some simple questions. You can start doing that this week, asking them some questions. We'll put them up on the screen. Here's the first question you can ask. How old will you be in 10 years, and what do you want your life to look like then? We asked that to our 12-year-old daughter. How old will you be? She's like, oh, I'll be 22. And then you're like, well, what do you want your life to be like? She goes, well, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that. And that's, that's the point, right? A lot of times our kids never think, further than this week, right? Or just this year. And sometimes we need to help them have a bigger picture of this one life that God has given them and maybe help them to set some big, God-sized, life-altering, life-shaping goals for them. And so sometimes we say, hey, what what is this 10-year goals you have? What what do you want your life to look like in 10 years? That can be really very difficult and very hard for them to, to to understand and comprehend. So another question you could ask is just making it simpler and ask them this. To help you reach your 10-year goals, what are some three-year goals to work toward? So I can look at my 12-year-old daughter and say, well, in three years, you're going to be 15. Well, what, what, could, what goals could you do, could set, set some smaller goals to be able to reach those 10-year goals? So maybe she says, hey, you know what? I want to, to know God's word better. We can't just hope that happens, right? You got to work towards it. So maybe a three-year goal would be something more tangible, something she can wrap her, her mind around. I want to read the entire New Testament within three years, okay? Something like that, right? But it doesn't really end there because that's still too lofty and still too far out. So you can kind of even break it down and go into a one-year goal and say this. What are some good one-year goals to help you begin to accomplish your big life goals? Maybe they can break it down to a one-year. And then you can go even further and help them to to really um, put their feet to these goals. 
and begin to bend them. You can begin to work on bending them towards um, the things of the Lord by asking this final question. What are some habits that you need to fix? What are some habits that you need to change? What are some habits you can begin to start in the next 90 days that will help you begin to reach those God-sized goals? And then you ask them about it every week. You sit down with them and say, you know what? You, you talked about how you wanted, you wanted to do this. You wanted to have great friendships. So what are some things you could do? What are some habits you could change? What are some different practices you can do and, and begin to develop? And you help them. You encourage them. You walk alongside them and work with them and correct them. Because here's the deal, guys. Time is running out. And for some of you in this room, time has run out. And you look back and you're like, my kids are grown. What happened? Right? Just yesterday it seemed like they were little and I had all the time in the world to train them the way that God wanted me to. For some of you, you still have some time. But for all of us, time is running out. This is tough for me because I think about my son. He's, at, he's in the background, then I'm going to start crying. He's in the back doing the slides. You're doing a great job, but, well, by the way. Good job, buddy. Train you well. <laughs> Ryland's trained you well. <clears throat> I have 159 weeks left. That's it. And after this week, one, it's gone. After another week, another one's gone. And if I'm not intentional, I'll wake up one day and they're all gone. And man, how devastating is that? You have one chance. You have one chance to influence your, your kids for the Lord. And the question is, parents, grandparents, what are you doing? Are you just hoping that it happens? Or are you being intentional with your kids? You got one chance. Let's make the most of this big God-sized responsibility he's given us to parent our kids and grandkids well. Let's do that as a church. Let's pray. God, we just confess to you that we are messed up as parents. And we fail this big responsibility you've given us. A lot of times it's because we're just too into our own lives. We got our own careers. We got our own goals. We got our own dreams. We're just hoping this, this uh, parenting thing happens. For some of us, we're just lazy and we think we have time to fix. We have time that we can work on it later. Yeah, God, I pray that as we read your scripture that you put this, this burning desire in our, our lives point our kids towards you. And that's a big responsibility. You've given us one shot. Think about grandparents in this room. That now the responsibility is, is turned to helping our kids raise our grandkids. How can we do that well, God? Well, I see from scripture that we first have to have you in our hearts. And we got to be fixing our relationship with you. And we got to be on fire for you and loving you. 
So God, if there's anybody in this room that's far from you and they're wishing their kids would, would fall after you, but they're not doing that themselves, God, I pray that they would be convicted today and humbled to turn and accept Christ today. They would tell somebody today. They begin to walk with you and show by example what it means to follow hard after Jesus. That their kids would see that in their lives and their kids would be changed. And God, we're, we're called to train up our kids and they're all different. Some of them are running after you and that's just such a blessing and some of them are bent the other way and it burdens us and it keeps us up late at night. We drive down the road just with tears in our eyes wondering what we did wrong. But God, you can fix it. And you're calling us to partner with you to do that. So maybe some of the easy ways we can do that, God, is just to sit down with our kids and help them to think God-sized dreams and big goals to their lives. And we can begin to narrow that down and help them to see what can you do over the next 90 days to begin to walk after God, to fix what is broken. Maybe some things our kids can begin to do every single week and we can train them and come alongside them and correct them and help them and love them and forgive them. And show them your grace and your truth. And over time, we pray, God, you begin to, to bend them towards you. So that one day we're on our deathbeds, we can look back and with no regrets. And see our kids and our grandkids, and I pray our great-grandkids following after us with this legacy running strongly and passionately towards Jesus. God, convict us right now and help us to be the parents you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.